Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's worship service. I want to talk this Sunday and next week as well about suffering because that's a subject that is so important, something we all understand through our own experiences and we struggle to understand. We have a lot of questions about why do bad things happen and why do bad things happen to good people. And over the years, various religions and philosophies have tried to answer the question of suffering. And, and I've discovered that... Uh, those different teachings, those different thoughts, if you will, all fall into one of three approaches to explaining suffering. One is what I call the, the no God, atheistic, material world, physical world, closed system that says this physical world, this physical universe is really all there is. And, and because this life, this physical world is all there is when you're dead, that's it. Then they, they would say things like, uh, uh, focus on what makes you happy. Focus on the things you enjoy. and Just get the most out of life because this is it. There's nothing more. Another approach would be kind of philosophical and say, you need to learn how to just acquiesce to accept suffering and learn how to deal with it because life is predominantly suffering and 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 in some ways buddhism tends to lean that direction others are very pessimistic and their approach to living in the midst of suffering is to be is to feel hopeless and helpless and and totally powerless and then there's the the partiers the hedonist who who their philosophy is eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die. Since this is it, it doesn't get any better. Just, you know, get all the gusto. And, 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 and all of those philosophies grow out of a belief that this physical, tangible universe is a closed system. There is no God, and this is all we have. So you have to deal with it. Richard Dawkins, the famous biologist and atheist who wrote the book, The God Delusion, he, he, he describes this universe as just blind, physical forces and genetic replication and he, and he says in this world some people are going to get hurt and others are going to get lucky but there's no rhyme there's no reason to any of it there's no design there's uh there's no purpose there's no evil there's no good there's no god just pitiless indifference and then a second approach to dealing with suffering is what I call the weak God theory because historic Christianity has taught that God is all-knowing, all-loving, and all-powerful. And some people say if God is those things, uh, then there would be no suffering. And because there is suffering, God cannot be all three of those, and they tend to come down on the side of God may be all-loving and He may be all-knowing, but He's not all-powerful because if He was, there would be no suffering. The third approach is what I refer to as the biblical view, the biblical understanding of suffering. And that's what I want to talk about today and next week. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it with me to the book of Romans in our New Testament, a book written by the Apostle Paul to believers in the church in the city of Rome in the first century. And open it with me to chapter 8. Now, this, I think, is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And it deals in the middle of that chapter with this question of suffering. It does not answer all of our questions, but it does answer some of our questions. What what it does, if you will, is it gives us an overview. It helps us see the, the big 
picture of the biblical perspective, the biblical teaching about suffering and how you and I are to respond to it. And there are some very important truths as well as some important lessons that I want us to, to dig out of this chapter, to lift up and to, and to think about both today and next week. So again, I hope you'll join us next week. The truth is this, as followers of Jesus Christ, because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, our perspective on suffering is different than the perspective of people who are not followers of Jesus Christ. And in this chapter, Paul talks in the first part of it a lot about our relationship with Christ, how to have a relationship with Jesus and the benefits of that. And, and he picks that thought up in uh, verse 17, and, 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 and he talks about us being children of God. He says in verse 17, if we are children, then that means we're also heirs. Notice this in verse 17, if you have, have your Bible, we are heirs also and heirs of God. Why? Because we're his children, so we receive an inheritance from him. That's the analogy he's using. But then he also adds that we are fellow heirs with Christ, fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. See, this, this, this relationship with Jesus Christ we have because we are his followers, we are his children, we are heirs, we are fellow heirs with Christ, means that we don't see God as a weak God. We don't. We know he's an all-powerful God. And it means that we don't understand life as a closed system of just this physical universe. We know there is life beyond this life, and there is more than this physical, tangible world in which we live. We have a different perspective. And because we are children of God, we are heirs of God, and that means we receive some inheritance. There are gifts, there are blessings that flow to us because of this relationship, and we are fellow heirs with Christ, meaning that what we have as followers of Christ, what we receive from God the Father, is, is connected to our relationship with Jesus. And there's also a connection between what Jesus has and what we have as his fellow heirs. And he says at the end of verse 17 that part of our inheritance is to be glorified with him, meaning to be glorified with Jesus Christ. Looking to that day in the future when Jesus comes back and time as we know it ceases and we move into the next era, we move into life beyond this life, we move into the world after the coming of Jesus and the end of this age, the end of the world as we know it today the future heaven, all of that. And the Bible says so much about that glory. And in this chapter, we catch glimpses of that glory, which is part of our inheritance. And as I share with you this morning, verse by verse, I'm going to lift out some of what that glory is. Not all of it, but some of it. But he says, our inheritance includes in some part, in some way, the glory that we are going to share with Jesus Christ in his kingdom in heaven. And what really blesses my heart is to think about Jesus. Listen to this. The evening before Jesus was arrested and crucified, Jesus prayed for me and he prayed for you. In fact, he prayed for all of us in the centuries to come who would become followers of his. And, and I want you to listen to what he prayed for us. In John 17, verse 22, he prayed, the glory which you have given me, which the Father had given Jesus the Son. So the glory which you have given me I have given to them. Jesus says, I'm giving it to my disciples, to my followers, to those who love me and know me and are in a relationship with me. That includes us who are believers in Jesus today. And then he continued in verse 24 of John 17, praying, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me. He said, Father, I want them to be with me in my heavenly home in the kingdom and be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. So Jesus is praying for us. 
and he's saying that he wants us to be with him in heaven. He wants us to see the glory, all the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ in heaven forever. He wants us to see that and that he has given that glory to us. And so Paul in Romans chapter 8 verse 17, he says, our inheritance, part of our inheritance, what we receive because we are heirs of God, fellow heirs with Jesus, children of God, is we in some way we cannot fully appreciate we get glimpses of it, but cannot fully appreciate it. We are going to share in the glory of Jesus Christ. That is our destiny. That is our future. And we as believers, whatever we go through in life, we never lose sight of that. And it blesses my heart to think about it. Now, look at verse 17 again if you have your Bible. There's something very important that we usually gloss over, and it gets to the subject of suffering. Because after saying we are heirs of God, fellow heirs with Jesus, he says, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Notice the connection between the suffering and the glory. You see, you and I as followers of Jesus are going to travel the same path Jesus traveled. And during his time on earth, Jesus traveled the path of suffering and then glory. Now in his life, Jesus had love and he had joy and he had beautiful moments, but Jesus suffered. And following his crucifixion came the resurrection and the ascension and all glory. No more suffering, the pathway of suffering and then glory. You and I in our lives will follow the same path that in this life on earth, we're going to have joy and we're going to have beauty and we're going to have love and we're going to have peace, but we are also going to have suffering. But that's not all because our path will ultimately result in heaven and in the glory of Jesus Christ. So suffering and then glory. That's the path. That's the highway we travel. Suffering and then glory. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 that we are to fix, to, to place and keep our eyes, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the glory set before him endured the cross. See, when Jesus was living in suffering, when he was being persecuted, when he was being crucified, he knew that pain. That was real. He experienced it. But he also had his eyes on the glory that was on the other side of the cross, the glory that was on the resurrection, the glory that was his waiting for him in heaven. And, and, and he kept his eyes on that, and that helped him endure, endure, pass through the time of suffering. We travel the same path, suffering and then glory, suffering and then glory, just like our Lord Jesus Christ, so that we may also suffer with him and be glorified with him. Now, that doesn't mean... That does not mean that life is all suffering, that there's nothing but suffering. It's not. There, there, I know in my own life there is so much beauty, so much happiness, so much that I enjoy, so much that I'm thankful for. But yes, there's been suffering in my life, and I would dare say your life has been similar. There's been good things. There's been glorious things, things you've enjoyed so much. But there's also been some heartache. There's also been some pain. There's also been some suffering, and that was Jesus' experience. It is our experience, but Jesus had glory on the other side of it, and so will we if we are his children and followers of him. So keep your eyes on Jesus and never turn away from him. Now, I can just hear some of the critics and skeptics who heard some professor in college saying, and this, this was a, you know, a criticism from years ago, you Christians are all just focused on that pie in the sky and the sweet by and by, and therefore you're no earthly good, and they would use that as a way to mock us and say, we're just thinking about heaven, and, and therefore we ignore everything on earth. No, 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 my brothers and sisters. Listen, the biblical understanding of suffering, the biblical perspective is, is both realistic and filled with hope. 
hope. We know there is suffering. We know suffering is real. We don't stick our head in the sand and ignore it and pretend it's not real. We've experienced it in our own lives. We've seen it in the lives of our loved ones and our friends. We've seen it in our community and our nation and in our world. No, we're not naive when it comes to suffering. We know that suffering is real, but we also know the glory is real. We know that this life is not all there is. So we're not so fixed, if you will, on pie in the sky and the sweet by and by that we're of no earthly good. No, we face reality. We face life. We face the pain. We face the suffering. We face the heartache and we deal with it, but not in a pessimistic way, but in a hopeful way because we know that, yes, that is real and there are things that God's wanting to do, but there is so much more to come. It's realistic and it's filled with hope. And so I want to walk you through a few, ver few verses in this chapter and maybe help you understand from the big picture perspective, perspective, the biblical view, the biblical understanding of suffering. And again, it won't answer all of your questions, but it will answer some of them. So let's begin looking at verse 19. He says, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the Son's of God. The creation is this physical universe in which we live, our physical world, planet earth and everything that is beyond it, all the plant life, animal life, us as well. Creation, nature, he says in verse 19, is anxiously longing. It's interesting. He's using some, some word pictures here, and, and as, as though he's saying that creation itself, this physical universe, anxiously longing means it's stretching out its neck to catch a glimpse of something. Have you ever strained your neck to look around the corner to see somebody, to see something? That's the picture here, that nature, that creation is straining its neck to see something out there, to catch a glimpse of something in the future. He also says in verse 19 that it waits eagerly. It's the idea of someone coming to visit your home, and you're getting everything ready and you're so excited and you and you wish the time would pass quickly and you want them to show up you can't wait for them to knock on the door and be there and so creation is straining its neck its neck to see what's down the road it's waiting anxiously for that moment in the future to come and what is that moment he says in verse 19 the revealing of the sons of god that day in the future when jesus comes back and the resurrection takes place and, and God, before the entire universe, all of creation, before all the angels of heaven, all the demons of hell, God, before all of humanity throughout all the centuries, says, these are my children, these are my sons, these are my daughters, these are my disciples. They believed in me, they loved me, they lived for me, they follow me. Listen, part of your inheritance, part of the glory that awaits you is that at that time, on that day, Jesus is going to reveal to the entire universe everyone who belongs to him and the bible is saying that all of creation is straining its neck to see that day is anxiously waiting wants the knock on the door to come wants that moment to hurry up and get here now there's more to the story look at verse 20 if you have your bible verse 20 he says not only all that we've said thus far but in verse 20 for the creation was subjected to futility futility means uh, an emptiness if you will an inability to fulfill the purpose for which it was designed creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope. He's referring to Genesis and, and, and the sin of Adam and Eve and of humanity. And when mankind sinned, creation fell because God would not allow a sinful, imperfect man, a sinful, imperfect woman to live in a perfect world. And so God changed the universe to match us. And so our world is not a perfect place. It's been subjected to futility, and it suffers because of that. But he explains that in more detail 
detail here in the next verse, verse 21. He says, For the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Notice this. From its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The corruption means that this world is dying. This world is, is, is decaying. This world is, this world is not perfect, just like our bodies decay. This, this creation, beautiful and, and powerful and magnificent and wonderful, is not perfect. Things die. We see plants die. We see animals die. We, 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 we see changes in, our, in, in, in the physical world, in the creation, because it is not a perfect place. It's been subjected to corruption because of humanity's sin. But he said in that verse that one day it's going to be set free. The world was cursed. It was, it was, it was corrupted because of our sin. And God, at, at the revealing of the sons of God, when we receive our glory, he's going to free this physical world from that corruption, which means that the world is not ultimately going to cease. It's not going to be destroyed but this creation, this universe is going to be restored. It's going to be renewed. It's going to become a perfect environment, a perfect place where there is no corruption. The Old Testament Jewish prophet Isaiah in chapter 65, verse 17, said, For behold, I create, this is God speaking through the prophet, Behold, I create a new heaven and a, a new earth. When? When you and I have freedom. When you and I have freedom from the bondage of this tangible body that dies, when we have freedom from sin, when, we, when we're experiencing all the glory that awaits us as part of our inheritance as children of God, creation is going to be restored. And there'll be no, that means there, there, will be, there will be no more death, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more consequences of sin, no more curse. John the disciple in the great book of Revelation looking forward to that day in chapter 21 verse 1 and verse 4 said this he said then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and then in verse 4 talking about us God's people he says that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will no longer no longer be any death there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain that's the future of the creation but it's also our future I remember a few years ago Dan Armstrong who was 83 when he passed away a, a, a man who was a deacon in our church who loved the Lord and was a faithful servant and uh, would from time to time give me tomatoes and other things from his garden just a sweet sweet follower of Jesus Christ just before his death I remember visiting with him in the nursing home and we sat there and talked and then at one point I opened the Bible and I just read several passages about heaven several passages about our glory and I can still see brother Dan lying in bed with his eyes glistening and a, and, and, and this sweet smile on his face as, and I could just see inside his soul that he was envisioning the glory that was awaiting him in the kingdom that was awaiting him in the heaven because he was a child of God an heir of God a fellow heir with Jesus Christ he knew what was waiting for him in the future. And what the Bible is telling us here, now listen to this, is that all of creation, all of this universe is straining its neck and anxiously waiting for that day to come because it will also be set free. What about now? While it strains its neck, what about, what about now this time when, when there's so much suffering, looking forward to them, but what about the now? Well, he begins talking about that in verse 22. So if you have, a Bible, have your Bible, look with me. Verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation groans. Listen to this, it's interesting. The whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. 
creation groans like a, a, a woman in labor giving birth to her child, looking forward to that day in the future. The groaning, the groaning, the groaning are earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes. It's natural disasters of all kinds. The groaning is is disease. This pandemic, this pandemic and COVID-19, whether it was man-made or not, is creation groaning in pain and and uh, and creation hurts and, and we hurt. Think about the droughts last year in Australia because of high temperature, those severe drought that started all of those brush fires that burned 46 million acres and destroyed 6,000 buildings and 34 people lost their lives and upwards of a billion animals also died in that that's that's nature that's nature groaning survival of the fittest that scientists talk about the stronger animals devouring the weaker animals that's nature groaning mechanical failures and accidents and the things and and, and the fact that equipment wears out that things don't last that things rot that things decay that things fall apart that that is, that is nature groaning but the groaning's not all there is because he, he, he says it's like a woman in, 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 in childbirth, the labor's the pain of childbirth. And, and uh, all of you women who've given birth can attest to the pain of labor. But then the absolute joy of having of holding that new child in your arm. And, and yes, you remember the pain, but, but you don't remember it because the, the, the beauty and the glory and the love and, and all that's associated with that new child makes the pain pale in comparison. And he, and he says the same thing's going to happen to the universe, to, to creation, but it's also going to happen to us because we, it's not just creation, but we as followers of Jesus, we as human beings, we also groan. Look at another verse as we kind of move this this to a wrap-up in verse 23 he says and not only this but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our body he's saying that you and i as followers of jesus are looking forward to that second coming when we are raised from the dead and we receive a new body a glorified body that will never get sick never grow old never die never hurt never be weak never never suffer in any way never have so we're looking forward to the redemption of our body that resurrection but in the meantime in the meantime, he says, we groan. Every time we get a diagnosis of cancer, we groan. Every time there's a heart attack, we are groaning. I, I groaned when I learned in my early 20s I needed to wear glasses because my vision was no longer 20-20. It's my body groaning. Sometimes the groaning is loud and sometimes it's soft, but we hurt. Why? Because we live in an imperfect world, a fallen world. We live in an imperfect body, a fallen body, a sinful world, a sinful body, and things happen. And we, he says here, we are waiting eagerly waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our body we also are looking forward to that day when everything changes but in the meantime we just stay focused on jesus and we make a difference in this world i remember a few years ago hearing the story of joseph bailey who's a christian and uh, a author and a minister and uh, he tells about going to the children's hospital and Philadelphia the day after he had buried his his child who had died of leukemia I believe it was and he was there to thank the doctors and the nurses for all the care they had given his child and his family and while he was sitting in the wedding room the receptionist motioned him to her desk went over she pointed to a young mother in the room and 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 she said to him she her little boy has the same problem your child did and so Joseph Bailey went over and he sat down beside this young mother and he said to her, it's, it's difficult, it's hard bringing him in here every few days for these tests, isn't it? 
And she said, hard? She said, I die a little every time. And Joseph Bailey said, but isn't it good to know that even though the medical outlook can look hopeless and helpless, we can still have hope? And she said, oh, if I could only believe that, but I don't. When my little boy dies, I'll just have to cover him up with dirt and forget I ever had him. Joseph Bailey said, I'm, 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 I'm glad I don't feel that way. And she said, why? He said, because we covered our little boy up with dirt yesterday, and I'm here today to thank the doctors for all they did for him. This young mother looked at Joseph Bailey, and she said, you look like a reasonable person. How can you possibly believe that the death of a little boy is any different than the death of an animal? I don't know how to live life without hope. I don't know how to live life believing that this is all there is. And, and, and I know some, some people try to do it, but i got to tell you, I, I live with more joy than they do. And I, I live with more purpose than they do. And I'm so thankful that, that, yes, I can face suffering realistically, but know that there is so much more. And I, I'm, I'm not wanting to minimize anyone's pain. I'm not wanting to minimize your suffering. But I want you to know, that yes, our pathway is one of suffering and in glory, and while we may suffer here, there is glory to come. There is so much more. And, and the last verse I want to look at real quickly this morning is verse 18. And, and to some of you, to some of you, this is going to sound so crazy, but to others of you, you will get it right away. Look at verse 18. He says, For I consider, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy notice this, are not worthy to be compared to the glory, not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Wow. God is telling us in this book that the glory that is out there waiting for us is so incredible that our suffering here is not worthy to even be compared to it. Now listen, suffering can be severe. And not everybody suffers the same amount. Some, some people suffer more. Life's not fair. Sin is not fair. Suffering can be great. It can be, it can be, there, there can be a, a lot of it. And yet God is saying, no matter what your level of suffering is, the glory that awaits you in heaven as a follower of Jesus Christ is so incredible that your suffering will pale in comparison, which means that the glory has to be in Incredible beyond our ability to comprehend. That's the reason the Bible tells us that your eye has not seen, your ear has not heard, and your heart has never imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. The Apostle Paul was given by God a glimpse of glory, a glimpse of heaven, and he said there are not words in the human language to describe that glory that awaits us. And again, going back to the image of a mother in labor, painful painful but then there's new life then there's that baby there's more love who, who knew until you were a parent who knew until you were a parent or a grandparent that in one moment in one moment what you held in your hand could be so incredible that you felt love unlike any love you'd ever felt before and yet God is telling us that's what heaven will be. That's what our glory will be. And so the suffering is real. We're not unrealistic. We don't stick our head in the sand. We know it's real. We feel it. We experience it. But so is the glory. And it makes the suffering pale in comparison. And I want to encourage you, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, 
If you've never committed your life to Jesus, repenting of your sin and asking him to forgive you, and not just an easy prayer of believism, oh, Father, forgive me, but I mean a genuine prayer of repentance where you turn your life over to him. You commit yourself to him, and out of gratitude, out of gratitude for his forgiveness, out of gratitude for that relationship, out of gratitude for that salvation, out of gratitude for the glory that awaits you, you live for him. You obey him and serve him. You grow. And I want to encourage you to humble your heart right now where you are, to bow your head and close your eyes. And in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own soul, I want you to pray to Jesus and do that very thing. Surrender to Jesus. Commit yourself to Jesus. Become a follower of Jesus Christ because He wants to give you the same glory that He's going to give me. He wants to give you the same glory that He's promised to everybody who is His follower, who are His children. So will you pray that prayer right now in your own words, your own way to Jesus Christ asking him to save you, to forgive you, to accept you into his family, and he will commit your life to Jesus. And then I want you to let me and our pastoral staff help you in your walk with Christ. I want you to text the word Jesus to the number on your screen, 803-310-4455, because we have some material we want to send you at no cost. We want to talk with you and pray with you and encourage you and help you understand your relationship with Christ and help you grow. So reach out to us right now. Get your, your cell phone and text the word Jesus to that number and then you'll be prompted to complete a very brief form so that we can know who you are and get in touch with you to encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. And uh, that's what we want to do for you. I also want to ask you that maybe you, you're going through some suffering. You want someone to pray for you. We, we, we have a prayer list and we pray for people. And you can text the word prayer to that same number or pray rather p-r-a-y text the word pray to that same number and then you'll be prompted to fill out a brief prayer request form so we can be praying with you we want to do that now next week we're going to continue this series on suffering and we're going to become very practical why do we so very practical what do you do how do you do very very practical next week so i hope you'll join us